This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I remember the first speech that I gave. It was in, I think I was in 11th grade. Miss Mildred Gardner gave me that paperback and I was so excited. I had all of these stars and, you know, great clarity, you know, inspiration, all of those marks. And I got all of those marks. And she said, you are a great orator. And even in the, in the church, the black church also shaped and molded me into who I am today. That gift that I have came from the black church. And so I've heard it all of my life. And throughout the campaign, people have said to me, people who just on their face, you might look at them and look at me and say, those two people have nothing in common. And people will tell me, you gave me goosebumps. You know, you made me feel something. And that really is what is missing in the body politic right now, because people don't necessarily vote from their head. They really vote on emotion most of the time. They vote from their heart. How did that thing make them feel? And we got to marry that feeling with our intellectual side. And to me, that's where the explosion happened. So my superpower, where I, I can move people through oratory and make people feel as though I'm speaking to them. Nina Turner is one of the most interesting, powerful, and prominent progressive politicians in modern America. She worked closely with Bernie Sanders on his 2020 campaign. She was state senator in Ohio. And she's got ideas on where she wants her political future to go. You have not heard the last of Nina Turner. As long as progressivism has a place in America, and it still does, Nina Turner will have something to say. This is a very important political conversation, a conversation about progressivism and where we can go. For half of this conversation, listen right here. For the whole thing, go to patreon.com slash show. Patreon.com slash show. And for now, let's get into it. It's Nina Turner on Toray Show. You worked really closely with Senator Bernie Sanders on uh, this last presidential run. Why do you think he lost? He was leading close to the end, and then everything slipped away. Why do you think he lost? A confluence of things. There's never any one thing, as you and I both know, uh, when it comes to elections. Uh, Certainly, Senator won Iowa, at least the, the popular vote, people still 
debate that. So I got to throw that in there. And uh, we won uh, New Hampshire and we won Nevada in a fine, fine fashion, in a multicultural fashion, which was so exciting for this campaign. And then we get to South Carolina and things change. I mean, part of it certainly was the the coalescing of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, I don't think it's any accident that uh, Mr. Bujeg got out of the race. He was polling really high, not just polling high. His performance was, he was doing well. I think he was number two at that point in time. And you got a Senator, Senator Klobuchar got out of the race. So a lot of that coalescing of the moderate wing going into South Carolina had a in, big impact on our campaign. Yeah, I mean, with uh, Pete and Amy, was there a third candidate? They all, who's the third candidate? And 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 don't forget, I mean, Congressman Clyburn, you know, put the word down in South Carolina no, he, too. He, he so, was extremely but, important. He was extremely important. Yeah. But uh, I, with Pete and Amy dropping out um, so close to Super Tuesday, it really mm-hmm. changed the whole trajectory of the race. Um, it really. Are you supporting Biden? I'm one of those. I know that Trump must go. So it is a binary choice at this point. Uh, Anti-Trump. That's that's me. I mean, I found myself just to be anti-Trump, Torrey, because so many people are anti-Trump. I mean, that's really the Democratic Party's platform, which I think is really the wrong way to go. It's, 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 you have to give people something to vote for, too. Yes. So it is very clear that we're fighting against neo-fascism. No well, doubt but, but about that it. point right there. You have to give people something to vote for is sort yeah. of the core of the argument that I've been having with other Democrats throughout this whole process that a lot of people are saying, we just want to get rid of Trump. And I'm like, I'm absolutely with you, but we also need to give voters something to vote for. And in a That's moment right. when so many people are saying anybody but Trump, why would you then go with a moderate who's, you know, toward the middle of the scale when you could say, okay, let's then really change things and have a progressive who's truly going to have a revolution. Inquiring minds want to know, I recount the election. I ask myself those questions a lot. Of course, many people reach out to me and they have the same questions, especially because of the moment that we're in. I mean, COVID just exposed all the fissures in our system. It was already broken. A lot of people were already having a pandemic on a regular basis. You know, if you are black and poor, if you're white and poor, if you're brown and poor, I mean, if you're just poor, this this pandemic just revealed in a deeper way what you went through or what you are going through every single day. And so you're right to combat somebody like Mr. Trump. It takes his antithesis. And I cannot even tell you how many folks since the primary have said to me, you know what, S&T, you guys were right. Because what, Medicare for all, having 50 million and climbing people who have lost their jobs, and we know that healthcare, for example, is tied to one's employment. And you have people who lost their jobs through no fault of their own, a, a pandemic hit, they lost their job, and bingo. Now they lost their employer-sponsored health care. And so unless they're blessed enough to have a spouse or a partner who has health care, they SOL. Right. So 
Yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense to, I mean, to push the, a moderate at this time when people need boldness. The thing that bothers me about what so much of this is, I feel like it's a trade-off in that a lot of people said Biden will get other people read uh, suburban Republicans, right? They will vote for Biden. And thus you sort of move the Overton window over to the Democratic Party is kind of trying to make sure that Republicans are happy and feeling comfortable to join the Democratic Party, at least this once, rather than saying, we have these progressives, don't take them for granted, give them something, right? But, you know, the Republican Party doesn't think about things that way. They don't try to win Democratic voters, but we're trying to win them over. And, and, in the success of a Biden, true Democrats, the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party loses out because even if he wins, if his if his win is thanks to what the fringe of Republicans did in terms of coming crossing the line to vote for him, then he doesn't need to pay attention to us and progressive issues. He needs to pay attention to what they need. That's exactly right. The way you run is more like more than likely the way you're going to govern. So it is a window into how the vice president will govern. And it is going to take a movement of people to continue to push. Who knows? A miracle could happen. But as it stands right now, based on what we know right now, the policy positions he's taken. I mean, you may remember he had an interview probably been about three months ago now. And he was asked by the interviewer if Medicare for all passed. And, and you, you and I both know that would be a miracle, epic and necessary proportions. But if it passed, would you sign it? And he said he would not. Even in the face of a pandemic and so much suffering when it comes to lack of access to health care, there are 92 million people in this country who are either uninsured or underinsured. And that number continues to climb, Torre. So it doesn't make any sense. And so the Republicans help you get over. Yeah, those are the people you got to make book with for your entire term as president of the United States of America. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, back in rural America, urban America, suburban America, where so many people are suffering because, no, just because somebody lives in a suburb don't, doesn't mean they're not catching hell. But the people who are catching hell, the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class, what is, where is the vision that provides provision for the people? And because President Trump is so bad, because he is a clear and present danger. This is an excellent opportunity for the Democratic Party to go bold. Yes. Yes. And, and give them something to vote for. If they're only voting against Trump, that's not enough. That's not enough. No. And, and, it, and it is enough for a large chunk of voters, but it's not enough for some voters. And I'm, I'm, I'm just concerned, but I'm also concerned with how do progressives ever get truly heard and truly valued in the Democratic Party? I feel like, excuse me, we are never truly valued. We are, we, are we are a part of it. AOC, Bernie, that's nice. We hear you. You're in the tent, but you're not at the center of the conversation, right? And how do we ever get to the center of the conversation? Take it over. 
My brother Franklin Douglas said it better than anybody else can or could, which is power can seize nothing without a demand. And the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, and even those people who don't necessarily consider themselves Democrats, because as I reflect on my journey with Senator Sanders for five years, you know, since his first election and then running our revolution to now, a lot of the people who coalesced around our movement were not died in the world Democrats. They coalesced around this movement because Senator Sanders delivered a message and a demand about what is happening in America, the kind of suffering and what is needed to help people to make government work for people for once. And so I think sometimes we forget that calculus that there are a whole host of people out there who believe in Medicare for all, who believe in legalizing marijuana, who believe in increasing the minimum wage, who believe in making sure that we reform a criminal justice system that's working the way it was designed and needs redesign. However, they don't necessarily affiliate themselves with being Democrats. And so those are the people who are going to be left out because Democrats cannot win without independent voters who lean Democrat. Republicans can win, but Democrats can't win that way. And so how do you win over people like that? And so as far as the progressive movement, we have to make a demand. We have to be more agile. We were not agile when the, when the moderates coalesced. They saw us coming. They calculated. They said, 2016, we're not going to let that happen again. You may recall there were articles that were written early on in the election, in the primary cycle, where folks from the neoliberal side of the Democratic Party gathered and talked about how to stop what they were going to have to do to stop Senator Sanders. Did somebody, either Joe Biden or the head of the DNC, did somebody go to Pete and Amy and say, look, if you don't get out, Bernie's going to win. We need you to get out. We will remember this when you go to run for Senate or run for whatever. We'll, you know, take care of your campaign or we'll help you move up in your career. But like, if you don't do this solid for the Democratic Party, then was it, is it an active thing that happens like that? Well, that's the rumor. And yes, I do believe that because that doesn't happen by accident. How are you going to get the number two person, which was Mr. Buttigieg, just drop out like that and, and don't keep pushing? Right before Super Tuesday. To help the person that's number four. Think about that. It, it doesn't make sense. No, none of this stuff happened by accident. It all happened on purpose. And they did it in plain sight because, as I said, and, and your listeners can go back, check me out. Check out what I'm saying. There were several articles written about how the neoliberals were planning all along to stop Senator Sanders from winning. And they did just that. You know, it's an interesting. And there are other things, too. Now, I don't want to say, you know, with a campaign is not just a straight line, but certainly that was part of it. And never in history has that happened where you have the number two person. (laughs) And, and, and others get out of a race and coalesce around the person that is in fourth place to push them over the finish line. I mean, look, we both know that to win a Democratic primary, you have to have the support of black voters. And Senator Sanders did very well with black voters under 35. Yes, right? he did. But, the first time and the second time. Right. But did not do well at all with older black voters, the core of black voters. Joe Biden led with black voters significantly the whole race. And there's been a lot of criticism saying that Senator Sanders um, 
in person, in record, in vo- in in sort of policy, in vision, did not include black voters enough in his conversation. He was not able to say enough about what he did, what he wanted to do, who he was vis-a-vis black voters. What do you think about that critique? I I don't quite understand that critique. And I'm speaking as somebody who was on the inside. The number of times that Senator Sanders went into South Carolina, into African-American communities. I remember one just distinctly, Tori, because it just hit me. So and it, it reminded me of the struggle of our sisters and brothers in Flint. And it was when we were in Denmark, South Carolina. And not only did the senator go into Denmark, South Carolina, and hold a town hall. Before we went to a town hall, we went to a home of a black couple, older black couple, who had been struggling with dirty water in their community. And they were the stalwarts. They were the ones that kept the record. And so they had a, a, a lab, a makeshift lab that they created in their house where they had been cre- uh, collecting water samples in Denmark, South Carolina for 10 years, shouting on the rooftops that something was wrong with that water. Now, it wasn't the same situation as Flint. It was another situation where the locals were putting chemicals in the water that were not approved by the FDA, oh, excuse me, by the EPA. But they have been shouting from the rooftop, cancer clusters, people losing their hair, skin disorders, all kinds of things that that point to something is wrong. And he went to their home. He walked through and and saw their lab. He heard their story. He brought the media with him. And even when the media wanted to change the subject, he promptly told them, I am in this home to talk about this dirty water. And then from there, we went to a town hall and the senator said, if I become the next president of the United States of America, I am going to we are going to invest in water infrastructure in the United States of America. And we're going to name it after I believe her last name was Jones. It's ironic. They were the Joneses and the Smiths. I know that sounds (laughs) unbelievable, but they were. And the senator said he he was going to name that that project after her. So, no, I, I, I want people to ask the question, what did Vice President Biden do that was somehow different in the moment, not in the past. I mean, if you think about a lot of the places he won, he didn't go. So so when people say that Senator Sanders didn't do enough compared to whom? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the whole, and it worked the whole, his affiliation with, President Barack Obama, let's just tell the truth and how they utilize that. And we know what that means historically to the African-American community. So he didn't really, if people just step back and I'm not saying this as somebody, I really want people just to hear what I'm saying before they start jumping to the conclusion that I know some are going to jump to when they listen to our conversation today. But I want them to just step back and analyze the record, check the receipts. What in real time What policy proposals in real time during the primary did the vice president offer to the African-American community that Senator Bernie Sanders did not not just offer, but go above and beyond because he understands the the nexus or the intersectionality, we would say today, between Mm. caste and class. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. 
My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Make It Plain covers politics and social justice. From organizers to legislators, it's the conversation you need to get woke. You know, uh, the senator offered an interesting, uh, let's say, hand, right, in terms of poker, to the, the, the voters. Because generally what a presidential candidate offers is competence. I am competent enough to deal with whatever happens, right? I've, I'm, I'm brilliant. I went to great schools. You, you know, I'm empathetic. Um, you know, I've, I've been a governor or a senator or a vice president, and I will be able to deal with whatever comes. And they'll have some specific policy proposals, but generally their conversation is, I am super confident and I'm super competent and you can believe in me in my head and my heart and my gut. What the senator was saying was 
here are the specific things that I want to do. Here's my specific vision. And not that he wasn't competent because his intelligence and his history as an elected official is without question. But his presentation was much more specific. Like, I feel like I know what he would try to do in the first hundred days better than Biden, better than Hillary, better than Obama, you know, before he became president. And, you know, I wonder if that tactic, I don't know if, if that tactic sort of narrowed the folks who would follow him because he was so deep and so laser on like, it's the economy and this is how we're going to save America as opposed to Biden. Who's like, I'm a good guy. I've been there. I can handle anything. It was the electability argument at the end of the day. That's, that's what got us. Plain and simple. By which you mean. That vice president Biden put forward in his persona and approach the whole I can beat Trump. And once you lose the electability argument, even if you have the better vision, which our campaign did, and COVID has proven that right now, you know, there's an article that Dr. Yamada Taylor wrote, and I, and I encourage people to go back and read it. And I, I believe the title of that article was Reality Endorses Bernie Sanders. Mm. And that's what's turning out to be true, that a lot of his policy proposals would have ameliorated the struggles that people are having right in this moment in deeper ways than, than anything ever seen, at least in the, in the 21st century. But it was the electability argument. Can you beat Donald J. Trump? And somehow, I don't know how, because when you win the popular vote in the first three states, which is, is wisdom. I mean, that's what all everybody said. Win no states and what you you ride away into South Carolina. I mean, elect- that's usually how the formula goes. Electability is such a vague term. And I was always like, what does that mean? And to me, it meant I think other people will be willing to vote for him rather than here's what I want to here's what here's who I want to be president. Sure. I mean, it is a combination and it's fluid. And again, don't underestimate the power of a very popular former president. And Congressman Clyburn, it it was just, there was not enough days between a super, I mean, excuse me, between South Carolina and Super Tuesday. It wasn't like we had three weeks or a month to recover from what happened in South Carolina and the rest, as they say, is, is history from there. And then COVID, you know, you get to March and all hell is breaking loose with COVID. I mean, to her, I remember it like it was yesterday because it was my home city where we were about to do a big rally. I was so excited. The, the prodigal daughter, if you will, returns. Although I never left my hometown, but I was traveling a lot. And I, I was so excited about the rally we were going to have in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. And that is the day. You know, Governor DeWine urging people because COVID had just gone woo, all over the country. And he had recommended that people don't not have big events. And I that was the day. And and technically our campaign ended in my hometown. The irony of that. Mm. Um, what do you make of someone like Joe Rogan um, saying that he would prefer uh, Senator Sanders 
to Trump um, and not to not to focus on Joe in particular, but there was there was a, a Trumpy voter who saw something in Senator Sanders that they were like, I could ride with him where they were like, well, I don't like Biden, but but Sanders is a Democrat I can get with. What what was that about? Integrity. Consistency. You know, that word integrity is so real and deep. I believe everything Senator Sanders says he really means. And, you know, there's there's a, there's an amount that you accept with politicians. I was Hillary from stem to stern last time in 2016. From day one, I was like, that's my candidate. That's my girl. We're going to win. And I remember the first debate that I watched, it was in Brooklyn. And I was like, I believe he truly means everything that he's saying. And I don't really believe it. I know she's saying the right things. I'm with her, but she's saying what she's supposed to say. But damn. And and I think that was the night when um when the moderator tried to bring up, but what about her emails? And he was like, Who cares about her emails? Let's get back to policy. And what elected official, what campaigner does something like that? Like, screw this issue that could, you know, they always try to take every little thing. He was like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about the issues. I was like, I believe, and and like that notion of integrity is so real with him. It is. I mean, he said, you know, enough with the damn emails. <laughs> I'm trying to save lives here, basically. You know, paraphr- he said enough with the damn emails. But in terms of saving lives, that's what he was about. And what you wouldn't give I me mean, for, for somebody like me who I've run for several offices, what I wouldn't give to have a competitor that's just going to stay on the issues and not get into the muck or the mire about uh, people's personal failings or something they may have done wrong. I just want to talk about the issues. And people feel, I mean, back to your point about Joe Rogan and our campaign kept, caught a lot of grief from that. But I thought the idea was to expand the tent, was to bring people in, was to try to attract voters, not by selling your soul to those voters, not by being moderate, but by being distinctly and uniquely who you are. And Senator Sanders didn't have to change his policy positions to get Mr. Rogan's support. Right. He was uniquely and distinctly who he is. And that's how he won him over. You may recall the the Fox Town Hall that the senator did. We caught all kinds of grief for that. Millions of people watched that town hall. I think it was their highest rated political town hall. And then once the other Democrats saw how successful What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Thrivemarket.com 
slash Torre. On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, he was. Then all of a sudden, oh, it's okay. But he did that without changing what he stands for, what he believes in, what he's going to fight for, what his policy positions were. And he was able to change some minds, maybe not on everything, but most people left that town hall saying to themselves, you know what? I might not agree with everything this senator or this person has to say, but he believes in what he's doing. And that's good enough for me. He ran a race, as you said, with tremendous integrity at both times and said, let's stay on the issues. I don't want to secretly or publicly be bringing up mud that changes the trajectory of the race. So you lose with dignity. But if you lose, then you don't get to have power. You don't get to, you know, push the country in the direction that you truly deeply believe it should go in. Does some part of you say, perhaps we uh, handicapped ourselves a little bit by not allowing ourselves to have those tactics that everyone uses, right? That everybody else is playing that part of the game. And if the senator is not, is he playing, you know, with four cards when everyone else is playing with five? It's his campaign. And you have to do what the principal wants. And that's how he wanted to run his campaign. So, But do you think he should have maybe engaged in some of the dark arts a little bit more so that you could win? Not necessarily. I wouldn't even call it the dark arts. I would say that the senator, in my mind, and this is one of the things that I fought for and, and others on the campaign uh, fought for, well, a few of us, we were outnumbered on that, but to really juxtaposition his record You don't have to go beyond that because Vice President Biden has a long elected record. So even if you just stay on the record, that would have been enough. But you have to contrast. That's what the primary is about. You know, people who bemoan primaries, you might as well just say we're going to pick this person and that's it. The primary is an exchange of ideas. And sometimes it gets messy, not messy in that you digging into somebody's personal life, but just their record. Crime bill, record. Bankruptcy bill, record. What happened to Professor Anita Hill, record. Uh, Saying in his own words, I will, you know, help to, to, uh, to cut Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, record. You don't even have to go any further. There are many times where people were trying were, were trying to get the senator to delve into, for example, Bobot. I mean, I'm not Bobot. Um, it's yeah. Was that Hunter. no? Yeah, Hunter. Hunter. I'm sorry. Ooh, yeah. Bo Bo Pass. Yes. Please forgive me. Yes. No, not Bo Hunter. Forgive me. And the senator wouldn't do it. He said, "I'm not here for that." See, that's that's going dirty. You know, trying to pull his son into this. Senator wanted to stay on the issues. But there were plenty of issues for all of the candidates who have an elected record to be debated and to contrast. 
And we should have done that a little more and a little sooner. Um, talking about yourself a little bit more, you had the opportunity to become Jill Stein's vice president. Why, why do you even laugh when I say Because you're bringing that up. <laughs> well, why'd you say no? Why did you say no to Jill Stein to, to be her uh, vice presidential nominee? Lots of respect for Dr. Jill Stein. I'm not from that school of she shouldn't have ran. You know, this is America. So you got third party candidate. They have every right to, to run. People got to earn the vote flat out. It just wasn't where I was at, at the time. That's all. Nothing more and nothing less. You know, I was kind of holding out, you know, stay in this Democratic Party, raise hell, push them further to the left. Progressives, you know, it's our party. We can cry if we want to kind of thing. That's what I was committed to then. I'm not so sure at this moment. I've been very disappointed in the Democratic Party, especially now. People need so much help. I mean, just to even give one example, which I have many, but just a recent, can we cut the Pentagon budget by 10%? And it failed in the House of Representatives that's controlled by by Democrats. Now, I get that Senator Mitch McConnell wasn't going to do anything with it, but you, you cram it down his throat. You pass bold bills and you cram it down his throat and then you take it back to the people. You take it to the streets and then you make a contrast argument between what the Democrats are willing to do for the people compared to the Republicans. But when you don't even go bold like that, 10 percent, we have a one point one nine trillion dollar discretionary budget of which the Pentagon, the military industrial complex, gets 61% of that. And I'm not talking about what we do for our enlisted men and women. I'm talking about contractors, 61%. That's over $720 billion would it be. And the Democrats in the House could not bring themselves to pass that bill and ram it down Mitch McConnell's throat in the Senate. So are you saying that you are thinking about that you are leaving the Democratic Party? We will see. What does that mean? Break, breaking news. We, we will see. <laughs> what, is, what does I that mean? mean? I, I, I've been very disappointed with the Democratic Party. I mean, we have two corporatist party. Where is the party for the people? Where is it? The corporatist wing of both parties control America. That's right. Period. They, they control the systems. That's right. Operate. They control the rules of engagement. And it's not supposed to be that way. And it's not that I am, I'm not anti-corporation. I'm not certainly not anti-wealth as a, as a black girl growing up poor. Yeah, I'm trying not to die that way. I want to leave my son a little more than a good name. You know, and, and especially when we think about income and wealth inequality, and especially wealth inequality when it comes to black and white families in particular, But you don't have to have it all. I'm talking about excessive greed. I'm talking about the types of greed that is made on the backs and necks of people. That if your profit, the profit that you make harms somebody else, then it's time to kind of rethink how you're doing that. And we have a laissez-faire operation of the federal government right now to let alone the government, the federal government in particular, but it happens on the state level too, God knows, really has abdicated its responsibility to be the referee. That's government's job. And government is designed for us to do together what we cannot do as individuals. And it is failing mercilessly 
all you got to do is talk to poor people in this country. And it's not true that if you work hard enough, you know, people have said that both people we like and some people we might not agree with politically, if you just work hard enough, you'll make it. That's a damn lie. Thanks so much to Nina for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., and Dr. Kina Murphy. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show where you can go to get the other half of this great interview. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.